You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. Today we are going to be covering the subject of why be more loving and why now. And we're going to have a special guest on our show today whose name is Aliana Alana. And she is a writer, a visual artist, a human potential facilitator and, of course, a frequent traveller. Because that's where we caught up with her from our old friend Kevin O'Kelly in the Garden of Ireland in Wicklow. She is Canadian born, now living in Winnipeg. But she has lived in Ireland and she's also touched the shores of Spain and Italy, spent time in Australia and drank in the Aloha of Hawaii. Now, what about that for an introduction, Angel Rose? I know we've been wanting to drink in the (laughs) Aloha of Hawaii for some time, too. We just haven't gotten there yet. Hi, Aliana. Welcome. Hello, Angel. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm very good. Thank you so very much. You're welcome. Uh, well, Hawaii happened for me um, in what I now lovingly call the days of white, which was a time period in my life when I was dressed all in white and was going around talking to people about awaking to divinity. And a lot of what I did at that point was completely guidance-led. So at some point, it was inevitable that the call to Hawaii would happen. I think it's probably one of the most beautiful places on the planet um, for me I felt like I arrived home the minute I got there. The only other place that's interesting for me later on, if I fast forward to Ireland, was I came to feel at one point that they had similar uh, heart connections. Ireland's manifested in a very different way. Hawaii's was much more um, soft breezes and ocean waves and, you know, uh, plumeria or fragipani in the air, whereas Ireland's was uh, a bit more hidden, if you will, and a bit more tucked into word. But they both carry that, that portal to the heart. Yes. And the aloha and I, for for some you know reason, past or present, whatever, uh, have just always had a great understanding of each other. So I mean, it's a place that speaks of love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does, and we want to talk about love today. But let's get a little bit more of background from you, so that our listeners will have an idea of who you are. Now, I've got a little bit of information here, and it has been our experience in the past that when we have people on the radio they don't always bring the best of themselves out in terms of the magic things that they've done. In other words, they don't feel as if they, their experience really is of value to anybody. And that is so not the case because in reading your bio, I am absolutely blown away, not only about your stories of Hawaii, but you also love the whole idea of myth and story and its power and magic in our lives and how it forms and colors our journeys. And you say yourself that you have been haunted by the beauty and the magnificence and the wonders of our world. And you use that then to inspire people through your sacred geometry that you do, which opens energetic doors and helps people come to a place of balance. So tell us a little bit about how all that began. You know, give us a little bit of a kind of a a quick overview of how your life came to be where it's at now. And then we'll move into how you're working towards achieving the idea of being more loving and why now. I think 
You know, I think we're all we're all we're all pulled to something in our lives. We we come to an awareness of of spirit. We come to an awareness of our gifts. We we are called within ourselves to to contribute in some way. And my call led me eventually to India. And in India, there was an enormous awakening for me. And a lot of things happened there that were um, large and small and big and all kinds of uh, strange and marvelous things. Suffice to say that life was hugely, profoundly different after that journey. And from that point on, I was very driven to do what I could to to help spiritually, to understand the world from a spiritual perspective, to understand it from a place of of service, if you will. And it was also a time where I tapped very much into the uh, art of my life. I've been writing since I was a child, but art-wise, that that happened after India as well. So there was a lot of discovering, going into the forest, if you will, like a a little yogi, and and figuring out how planet Earth worked. And then from that were, you know, just moments that we all have, where there are pivotal moments where you you are guided down one yellow brick road, something happens, it unfolds something for you that is profound, and another and another, until you find yourself suddenly um, in the days of white, which were basically, if I give you the fast version, were, were basically, I think, as I look back on it, uh, a great opportunity in our world at a particular time many years ago, that spoke of the possibility of not only being more than we appear to be, but but being this magnificent, beautiful, exquisite vibration of love. Many teachers throughout the world have spoken of it time and time again, many philosophers, many mystics, uh, many messiahs. And so there was this portal to to explore what that might mean and who we were. And I think it, it laid a foundation, perhaps, at least I hope it did, that it laid a foundation for where we were going after that and where we are now, uh, so that perhaps we could take what we learned then, those who were exploring and investigating, and be a bit of a way-shower, if you will, uh, for what is going on at this particular moment. And so I gave workshops and retreats and healing sessions in sound and energy work. Uh, and in the midst of that came the sacred geometry work, which started in very small ways and then uh, grew to be what it is today. Right. Aliani, can you talk a little bit more about the sacred geometry? I find that very interesting. And there's a lot of talk around about sacred geometry in general, but give us your version and tell us what you do and how that geometry has has worked in your life. Mm. I began with the awareness that and the guidance that I was going to be doing something called Master Gateways, and I had no idea what that was at the time, uh, but I was in a very altered state way of life. Uh, and I trusted the guidance that I got tremendously. I then went through a series of opportunities and began to do crystalline structures work, began to do um, geometries on paper. I saw them as holographic images. And for a while, when the door opened for me, I basically saw geometry absolutely everywhere. And over time, that has led me to know, as I've done more and more and more of it for individuals, for groups, etc., that I feel very strongly that there is a universal language 
that is a template, if you will. It's in a sense that there is a code in everything. Uh, our DNA is a, you know, we perceive in some ways as a code. And so in that coding is a, is a geometry that we then perhaps, and this is just my very small way of looking at it, that we then influx with the harmonics of light, color, sound. And depending on which ones and how much depends on whether we become a body or a planet or uh, a rose, a petal, a leaf, whatever. These sacred geometry pieces that I've been gifted to do uh, have been there to create doorways for individuals to not only better their lives, but to come home to what they truly are here for and what they can share with the world. Um, and I've done those in large geometries for people um, that act as catalysts or in logos that act as kind of a, a beacon or a calling call to use to draw people to your work. The work now is, is much more color-oriented as well. And it is very much on a focus of what I call the templates from the garden series. And that is to do what I can to open... Uh, templates that will help facilitate our recognition of and participation in what I call the garden, which is basically the idea of the kingdom, heaven and earth, uh, that there is a world of harmony and balance of love that we have the ability to participate with if we choose. Does that uh, help? Yes. yes. You're a storyteller because this is very, very evident and you have written a book that we want to talk about in a little bit called Between Worlds. But before we get there, you did mention that you were a wayshore. And being a wayshore, you showed me the way because I spotted on your website an article that you had written about being more loving and also the importance of being more loving now. And it was about the Syrian refugees and the difficulties that they were experiencing trying to find solace and peace and love in Europe, and they were having a very, very difficult time of it. Now, what inspired you to write that article? Give, give us your feelings behind that. Mm. Well, I think, you know, as you know, in the article, it mentions that there was a time during the days of white when I was teaching that that I was aware in and very much a you know an altered state awareness kind of moment that we were quite likely going to create as a as a species as a world community a scenario that would require us to give a helping hand no matter what to test if you will um our commitment to being to being kind compassionate humane loving human beings and I think we're very much at that point. It isn't always easy to, to see love in, in other people. It isn't always easy to look at a situation that appears to be devastating and to think, what can I do? And it's even harder sometimes to do it if you yourself appear to be in difficult straits, whatever those straits may be. So the whole Syrian question, and I have a great love for Europe. I, you know, I spent a lot of time in Ireland. I never quite left it. And I never quite left the flavor that Europe gave me when I was on the edge of it. Mm -hmm. So 
how and you know what happens there matters to me. Uh, I was very affected by the situation in Greece and what came down with that for some reason. And when I looked at the Syrian situation, I found that yes, we are right there in that moment that I had seen might happen so many years before. Yeah. It is. So how do we love? You know, somebody said to me recently that they felt that what the world was crying for was hope. And and it was a very well-meaning comment, and I totally understood where this person was coming from. But I, I took that on board, and I thought about it a lot. And I felt, I think we have gone beyond that point. I think we are very much on one level, you know, on on... There are two worlds, in a sense. There are these two parallel worlds that we're walking, and they're almost fighting for identity, uh, if, if fighting is the right word. Mm-hmm. One is the garden, this, this place where there are souls who are building it, who are opening their hearts to see it and feel it and participate with it. We're dipping our toes into it. We're celebrating it. We're jumping back out again. We're doing all these things, but we are beginning to be there. Mm-hmm. The other is the world as we have known it. And this is the world that we see with Syria and and with the the war and the destruction and the devastation and this colossal wave of fear that keeps ratcheting up itself in, in that part of the, the world story. Yes. And I came to feel that, that that scenario, climate change as we see it, the you know, the parched earth, is really at the point where to me Love is the answer. Love is the healing agent. Love is what will transform. Mm -hmm. And as cliche-ish as that might sound, or corny, um, it does really transform things in an instant if we will go there in ourselves and if we will hold that frequency. Yes, yes. Now, the thing about all of this is that, you know, we share with you those kinds of feelings and that sentiment and that desire for sharing love and so on. But there is also, as you said, the parallel worlds, the the other side of the coin where people have this resistance to having these refugees, for example, come into their place. Now, we interviewed a lady from Greece just a couple of weeks ago, and people will find it in the archives. And it was about what was really happening in Greece. And she explained to us a whole different story than what we get from the mainstream media. The mainstream media was Mm -hmm. proclaiming that Greece was abusing the generosity of the European uh, Monetary Fund, that they were effectively going bust, they were overspending, they were charging too much, you know, and and generally were uh, ineffective in their management of the country's money. Now, her story was very different. It was about life as a mother on the ground, in a home, trying to raise children, and all this monopoly going on around her, all the misuse of resources and all the um, abuse of power that she could see that was coming down from the European powers. Now, I put it to her about the fact that Greece is surrounded by water on three sides. It has all the resources of the Mediterranean Sea. It's got fantastic shipping magnets. It's got uh, amazing tourism. It's got wonderful uh, food in terms of olives and all kinds of Mediterranean produce. So there's absolutely no reason why the country should be brought to its knees. It was the, the monetary 
policies that brought it to its knees. So her story was very, very interesting from that point of view. But the interesting thing that she raised, though, and it almost happened as an aside, and that was that despite the difficulties that they were having, despite the trouble and the lack of money and the lack of resources, she told us that there were hordes of refugees coming from North Africa and from uh, the Middle East, various parts mm-hmm. of the Middle East, landing mm-hmm. on the islands, the Greek islands, and the people were opening their hearts and their homes to them. They were saying, look, come in. You know, we don't have much. We have no money. We've got very little food, but we can give you as much as we can. Now, she said an interesting change happened, and that was when the volume of uh, refugees became too much. She, she found that a number of her, her um, compatriots were actually building up a resistance at that point to the refugees saying, listen, you know, you're overtaking the place. There's not enough food for everybody. We're going to have to close the doors. So can you tell us where is the dividing line for you in terms of accommodating the refugees and where that dividing line, if there is any, in terms of our purpose today in exploring about why be more loving and why now? Mm. Well, you know, I think, and I do understand what she's talking about, and and I do actually have a, um, you know, a sympathy in terms of uh, her perspective uh, about what happened in Greece. I would be very much on the same page on some, some aspects of that. It's almost that we. Co- it's almost like we come from it on two different levels, and and I, I suppose we decide which one is is most imperative to us as a species, as a people. Uh, the the most bottom line basic one is that a part of our human family is hurting. The the most basic one of it is we if we go from the idea that we are all energy and we are therefore all love and we are therefore all um, part of a divine frequency, if you will, whether we feel it at times or not or recognize it at times or not is irrelevant, it is there, then whenever something hurts on this planet, we hurt. So that means, you know, the waters, the the, the land, the, all of nature, it means all of the people. So from that level, do we simply be who we truly are and and reach out and help? And if we do it from that level, then we're down to the idea that love is Love from that place knows no end. It is not just universal, it is, it is unlimited. There is, there is no well that can dry out from that place. The worry, which is totally understandable, the worry that comes from, it is my nature to give, and, and you are here, and I want to share, and so I give you what I can, that then turns around on itself, if you will, and says... But I can't now because this is overwhelming. It's too much, which on one level of receiving the situation is very true, mm-hmm. comes on a deeper level from the idea that there's, there's not enough. Yes, yes, yes. There's only so much. This is all I can see that's there. Yes. I'm giving you everything. That comes to me from one of the most beautiful aspects of humanity, and that is our humaneness. It's like it's in the code of our genes to be kind and understanding and compassionate and loving. 
the fear that has permeated so much of the story of the planet of this earth has has negated that it has chipped away at it it has dissolved it it has brought us to a tiny place in ourselves rather than a large unlimitedly generous place in ourselves so when we see the clouds building and the swarms building if you will of of whatever it's okay there's just not enough i can't see how there could be enough so can we move into that place of knowing no end? And if we move into that place of knowing no end, is it possible to quote biblical that the loaves and fishes will appear? Yes. Okay, that's a beautiful place for us to take just a very, very short little studio break. And let us remind our listeners that we're speaking with Aliana Alani. And stay with us because we're going to explore more about her book, her novel called Between Worlds. We're going to talk more about the idea of being more loving and why now. And also we're going to speak to her about Shangri-La when we come back after this break. You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. Years of research, thousands of profound statements, hundreds of sessions, miles of transcripts, months of listening, a vast archive of personal power and spiritual awareness awaits you. Join worldofempowerment.com today, a members-only website of practical spirituality for your fast-changing world worldofempowerment.com Okay, we're speaking with Aliana Alani, who's a writer, a visual artist, a human potential facilitator and frequent traveller. A Canadian-born, now living in Winnipeg. She has lived in Ireland and Hawaii, and she is with us in the studio to talk about love, loving, and why now. And Angel Rose has a question for her. Yes. I was wondering if you could tell our listeners... How, for you, this sort of love has manifested? You know, because when you mention, you know, the loaves and fishes appearing, I do know that a lot of people out there are in survival mode. They are in a fear place about that. So when we talk about being in this loving energy, or actually being a source of love is really what we mean. How does that translate down through the levels for you? I mean, how have you witnessed that? Well, you know, I think that I think that we provide many opportunities again for ourselves to understand something that is profound and essence oriented at the same time, which is who are we? Um, are we divine beings? Are we love? And if so, what does that mean to us? What does that really mean? Not what our ego thinks it means or the outer edge of it means, but what is the the true core of it, and what does that mean? And so we've all been presented. I would be very surprised if we weren't at this particular stage of the world story. We've all pre- presented with opportunities for for um, coming out of the mud, if you will. And when we make ourselves very small, for whatever our reasons, consciously or unconsciously, we get to experience those moments when things don't work and when it appears that there's not enough and when it appears that, oh, my God, you know, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know how it's going to come. I have certainly gone through that as well. My experience in Ireland was profoundly beautiful and hugely challenging at the same time. And so it taught me 
a lot about the goodness of people. I, I can be an incredibly otherworldly person. So it really grounded me in in what it was like to kind of dip into the bog, if you will, and pull yourself back out again. It taught me about people who were kind beyond measure, who showed up at the door and just, you know, put groceries at your at your door, whether whether they knew or not, whether you'd asked or not. And it also teaches me about what it's like to to hold true to what you know is real, if you will, and and what you know is is an illusion. It is not an easy road, and I have a, a great compassion and appreciation and firsthand experience of what that's like to walk. But I can say that every time heartfelt caring has come to my door, it has not only been an angel in disguise, if you will, but also a great opportunity to to love back and to remember. And I think that's I think that's where we all are right now. Right. Yeah. Well now you speak so eloquently about Ireland and for anybody that doesn't or hasn't experienced it, it is as you say, and I have also experienced that firsthand. And Interestingly enough, Ireland is a land of music and a land of storytelling. And I mentioned before (laughs) that you're a storyteller. And your book, called Between Worlds, is set in present-day Los Angeles and also in County Wicklow in Ireland. And you set it in the time of the 6th century, moments before Glendalough began its historic journey to become a renowned monastic city. And it tells the story of a woman who leaves her Hollywood life behind to follow the path of face that has begun to haunt her. And she goes to Ireland in the hopes of finding answers to its mystery. And Ireland takes her along a journey that she has not remotely expected, either in the present or in the past. And in the course of her time there, she begins to touch into another world. And as she does, we too enter into it. And when we do, the 6th century comes to life. And gradually we walk its world as well as the present day, just as she begins to do herself. And eventually these worlds merge. And when they do, we discover the mystery hidden for ages within the folds of Glendalough's time, waiting to finally be revealed. How close, Aliana, is that story that we know is a novel but how close is it to actuality in terms of your experiences there in the Garden of Ireland that we call Wicklow? Are you asking me how close I think the story is to what might have happened? No, no, I don't mean historical fact. I, I mean in terms of your okay. experience there. Like, it, there's no doubt that in mm. Ireland, in certain parts of Ireland, and certainly around the sacred sites, the veils are thin. So you can move into different dimensional spaces. Ah, you can and, indeed. Yeah, and into different yeah. historical areas. I mean, many times we see hordes of riders and soldiers and all kinds of different... Goddesses. Goddesses, yeah, and all kinds of heroes and mythical characters moving in the landscape. So what I'm wondering mm-hmm. is, you wrote this as a novel, but how close is it to your actual experience while you were there of that sense of that haunting landscape, that thinning of the veils. Ah, well, you described the the, the thinness of the veils very well, Ohana. 
Ireland for me was a fascinating place. It still, it still is. It's, you know, it's a, it has a deep place in my heart. There are, I think, places in the world, certain places, where the veils are very thin, sometimes more than others. But Ireland, it seems, a, a good deal of the time. And as you said, especially around certain key portals, if you will, and sacred sites in Ireland are on one level portals, I think. I certainly experienced a great deal of it. Did I see things in the middle of the night? Yes. Um, did I see a lot of what I was writing? Yes. I have, for whatever reason, like a number of people, an ability to look beyond the veils and see things that want to be told. And so did I tell a story that was aching to have another aspect of it brought forth to the world? Yes. That's very cool. Do I feel that? Hmm? I said that's very cool. <laughs> well it depends on who's reading the story you know sometimes when when the universe pulls you or some calling from someplace pulls you to go tell something that needs to be told and and you naively or innocently or with great faith follow the the trail and do it and if it has to do with something that is very old where there's a lot of established quote-unquote fact around it even though the established fact comes from 200 years after Kevin's death, for the instance, in this case, and is very much a part of the church doctrine of the times, there are energies, present day and past day, that are not happy with the unfolding of the story. And so you do kind of bump into things in the night when you're working on it. Yeah, we had our own experience of that uh, two years ago in Ireland, where we were requested by a standing stone to go on this adventure to collect or create, let's just say, mother tincture waters from various places around Ireland and Europe. And it's kind of strange that you arrive in Ireland and you rented this cottage and lo and behold, on the property is a 5,000-year-old standing stone and you both get woken up the next morning at 6 with the stone calling you and saying, come out here. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And uh, that took us on a wild journey, which we're still in process of preparing. It's not finished by any means, but yeah, led into very deep places. It's absolutely mystical. And for us, the realization about how alive things are on levels that most of us ignore, and certainly we would have ignored as well if we weren't taken on the journey. So we mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. where you're coming from. I have yeah, a question for, sure. for you now, Aliana, yeah. about, and it's about your, well, first of all, I want to ask you, how can people get hold of your book, Between Worlds? Uh, well, at the moment, it's uh, self-published. It's an EPUB format uh, solely. They can click on the 22shangrilaw.com site. They can read a sneak preview of it. They can order it. But it's the site is is not set up well enough at the moment for them to then automatically click and get whether they want Kindle or or uh, Android. So they must actually come back to me for that. So it's just as easy for them to email me at Aliana at twenty two shangola dot com and uh, tell me that they want it, and we can go from there. Okay, that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, yeah, we want to ask you about twenty two Shangri La. Before you do, mm-hmm. let me preface this by saying that the 1111s and 22s are very close to our own heart. Anybody who's been listening to our radio shows in the past will know that Angel Rose is an 1111. 
and um, I was born in house number 22 on the 11th of the 2nd. So all these numbers are very, very important to us. But tell us how you arrived at that as a website, 22shangrila.com. Ah, well, mine's a little bit more pragmatic than that. I wanted the site to speak of heaven and earth. I wanted it to speak of a place of unending beauty and, and, uh, and love. So for me, Shangri-La was the ideal name because it sets up a frequency in people's awareness. You know, books have been written, uh, films have been done, etc. And it just felt like the very perfect one to do. When I went looking for it, and this is the, I confess, this is the worldly side of it. When I went looking uh, for it as a domain name and to, to set it up even in WordPress, which is where I began, that name on itself, solely by itself, was not available. So I started thinking about, well, what would I like it to be? And I've been very fond of 22 as well for various reasons. And it just felt like it was the right fit. I checked it. It was available. I said, then that's what it's going to be. And that's where we went. All right. Now, that's very practical. <laughs> and it, it was is, very practical. Yes, yes, fantastic. Okay, we've spoken about Hawaii. We've spoken about Ireland. You've talked to us about the experience in Greece and the Syrian refugees and all of that. And then we've spoken also about your book, Between Worlds, and what is effectively a kind of a love story uh, in a way. And what I want to do is bring this whole discussion with Aliana Alani full circle and see, has love changed all through the years? In terms of your experience in writing the book, which is about 6th century Ireland, and the difference between what they would have experienced then as love and what we think is love today. Wow. it's a good question. If I look at it directly in relationship to the, the story that is within the book, I, I would say that on one level of our human journey, we still haven't got it. Right. I would say on another level, we're, we're really blossoming. And that's what I mean by the two parallel worlds at the moment, the one where people are really working with, with coming into love and, and whatever that means to them spiritually. The reason I say it about the book is that the book is very much about unrequited love, ultimately. Mm-hmm. It's about love that happened that um, was not allowed for, for whatever reason or not. My experience of Ireland... And what eventually, uh, the reason I left was manyfold, but one of, the, one of the underlining reasons was that it is very much as beautiful and as wonderful and as poetic and as gorgeous a storytelling and as magical as it is on so many levels that it is, it's also the land of melancholy. I could have stayed and written so many books yes. about stories, historical romances that hadn't worked. I could feel them whenever I went to different places and touched stones. Yes. So have we learned to let ourselves totally love? I'm not so sure. Do we have it up close and personal at the moment to do it? Absolutely, yes. And that's not just in terms of romantic love. And I think, I think that's the thing we have to look at now is what does love mean to us? What does the word mean to us? Where, where, does it, where do we go in it? You know, uh, romantic love is one thing. 
Compassionate love is another. Love through an awareness of what we've been taught in religious philosophies is often of service in one way, but not for self. So, you know, when do we drink of the, of the well of the fountain of love to such a degree that it is, we become one with it and there is no separation. And then we can gift no matter, no matter, no matter what happens. Right. I think that's what's up for us. Yeah, that and all the belief systems attached to it all, too, Aliana, that, you know, I find people have a difficulty loving themselves based on beliefs and uh, what they feel they have a right to and don't have a right to. So mm-hmm. I think that that needs to be applied personally as well as universally because it does carry into what we think other people deserve and are allowed to receive as well. And I think until we get to the place where it's all the same for everyone, including ourselves, you know, that we we don't really come into a harmless space until we can truly accept that love is for everyone, especially ourselves. Well, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. And, and you know, that idea, uh, I love the, the statement in the movie, The Avatar, you know, I see you. And, and for me, it, it's the ability to look at anyone or anything in this world, whether we like the picture of the story they're creating or we do not, and say, I see you. I see, I see your spirit. I see the love in you. I see the humanity. I read the story that's in front of you, and I may or may not like it, but I see you. I see you. And you're right. If we can turn and do that for ourselves as well, then we've, we've matched the picture. Mm-hmm. I think what may be necessary as well is for those who have to at least a degree begun to embody that love without fear, that they hold that love as a picture and as a vibration, as a wave of energy, if you will, a gentle wave of, of love that goes through and out into the whole planet and beyond without agenda, simply to land where it lands mm-hmm. so yeah. that people can feel that love. Because I'm sure you yourself know, as I know from my own personal experiences, I know that if that love is pure and it is there, it transforms everything in a second. Yes, now, you've, you've mentioned a few things there, Aliana. One being that you felt the poetry in Ireland, and you also mentioned a few times there about feeling that love. Now, Angel Rose, Aliana doesn't know that I found a poem that she wrote in 2003 while still in Ireland, and I want to share it with our listeners now. And at that time, it was about a person but like many things in life, it could also be about a place, a land, or a way of being. And I know that she hopes that in some way it touches your heart now. It's called Moments. In those moments when time does not exist and memories waft like fragile seeds upon the wind, I find you between the sleeves of my desire etched in fire along the edges of my heart, and so it comes to pass that I miss you still. Aliana, this is not the forum to 
read poetry and not many people listen to poetry podcasts. But I had to put that in there because to me that really, really touches the heart. That is a beautiful poem and it needs to be broadcast. It's absolutely beautiful. Oh, thank you. Tell us about what gave rise to that. What state were you in or what was on your mind when you wrote that? Ah, well, <sighs> there had been a love. Aha. Uh -huh. Tell us more. That was obvious. And Well, no. <laughs> no, not. Uh, but there had been a love. There had been a wonderful, magical moment in time of love. And it uh, was no more. And I was looking at that, and I was looking at the fact that that, that love still carried within me. And that, uh, that even after time, yes, I, I still missed. In a way, I was thinking about this when you were reading it, and thank you, by the way, for doing that. I could have been talking about Ireland. Right. I could have been talking about Ireland. Yes, as you say, it could have been a place just as easily as it could be a person. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Definitely, because the thing about certain places, and I'm sure... This has happened to many people who listen to you. There are certain places that just that touch your heart. There are other places that just rip your heart wide open. Yes. And, and, you know, they don't always, they aren't always walk out into the sunset moments for mm -hmm. you. Yeah. But they do provide this amazing opportunity to, to feel something that is deep and precious. Yes. In terms of what we were looking to cover today about why being more loving and why now, you've obviously embodied that from, from what you've described of your travels, of your writings, of your poetry, of your encounters with people and of your experience with the land. You obviously embody that. Do you think that that's a path that most people can take? In other words, if you have an accountant or a mother or a, a businessman or a politician or whatever, can they, can they actualize this feeling that you describe so beautifully? Can they actualize that in their day-to-day -day 3D lives just like what you have done? Well, in, in first, to be very honest, because I've gone through... Um, my own little, you know, down the rabbit hole kind of experience for a few years. I wouldn't say that I was always in in that vein all the time. I mean, I have learned what it's like to to dampen down the light and dampen down, you know, the 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 uh, magnitude of one's of one's um, energy and awareness and ability. Mm -hmm. And I've also then learned what it's like to amp up the light and come back out again and it you know it takes time and i think that's the why now thing is also comes to me around this particular thing which may or may not be answering your question one of the things that i have learned intimately is that when difficult things happen to you in your life and it feels that there is not enough and you you fight for your own existence or you walk with shields protecting you because you feel like you're about to do battle any second and, and often do, to unhook those shields, to trust again, to believe, to come back to a place of knowing in yourself again, takes 
time. It takes, it takes constant waves of love and assurance reaching you. It takes, ah, yes, this is true, so I can relax a bit. It's very physical. It's very emotional and very physical. Your form needs to relax again. And if it feels any modicum of a sense that there's danger, it will shut down. And it needs to relax again. So the people in, who are, cr- are crossing the ocean or crossing the Mediterranean from Syria or, or anywhere else in our world, because it's happening, you know, it's happening in um, Oceania. It's happening with people trying to get from different places to Australia and so on. Um, but whenever that is happening, these people have been through hell and high water and back. And every part of their being wants to trust and believe. And I'm generalizing like crazy here. But, but the desire for home and safety and love and nurturance and ability to feed themselves and have dignity in their lives again, this is, this is paramount. They want to believe that. They want to believe the welcome hand of Mama Merkel, for instance. But you must hold that generosity and, and sustain that generous feeling for yourself and for those who are coming to your door because it will take them a bit of time to trust that they can, that their new life is real and it's valuable and it's loving and it's safe. Mm-hmm. In the last it's essential. Mi- yes. In the last minute that we have available to us today, Aliana, mm. you invite people to come home to the very best that they can be in work, in life, in love, and to dig deep within the core of their being, to reconnect their Mm -hmm. hearts and joyfully express their passions for life and the divine purpose that they live here for in the world today. How do people get in touch with you? Give us your contact details. The easiest way is to write me at aliana at 22shangola.com. That's the easiest way. Put on the email what you're inquiring about. If it's about the book, if it's about, you know, in the subject matter, if you heard this interview and you wanted to speak more, whatever that may be, just send me an email and we can go from there. I travel a fair bit, so it's actually easier to get me by email. Right. And, of course, they can also visit your website at 22shangrila.com and your contact Absolutely. Details. Sign on and follow. Yeah. You know, put your okay. email address in and follow it so you know what's coming and what's current. There are going to be new things coming up. And the only other thing that I would say to end it, if I may, is that as, as strange and as surreal as it may feel at times, or so it can happen to anyone but me, we all have the capacity to love. And it takes but one moment looking in a direction that unlocks our hearts to go through that door and to stay there. Aliana Alana, it's been absolutely wonderful speaking with you today. We appreciate you taking the time to come on and to spread that beautiful message of love. And why now? Thank you and many blessings to you. You have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world.